All right, well, let's go ahead and, and uh, get started. Uh, we're going to try and finish up Romans chapter 3 this week. So, But before we, before we go ahead and, and open God's Word, let's go to Him in prayer and ask His blessing. Father, we thank You. And Lord Jesus, we just give You thanks and we give You all praise for the salvation that we have through Your blood. And we just appreciate the, the Word that You've given us so that we might comprehend the things that were done on our behalf. And so, Father, we, we come to you seeking wisdom and knowledge. We want to know more about you and, and the things that you've done for us. And so we just pray for this study. And just pray that the Holy Spirit that indwells all believers would um, just um, open our hearts and our minds to recognize the truth of your word. And so, Lord, just we pray for this time. We pray and we give you thanks for each person that's here. And we pray for the services to follow. Amen. Amen. All right. Romans chapter 3. As I said, we're going to finish up the chapter here. We left off with Paul having taught that God has now revealed that man is to be justified only through these certain things. He's, he's gone over a number of things already, which is why we're probably 14 weeks in, 15 weeks in, and we haven't finished chapter 3 yet, because he's taught quite a bit. But here, he's in these last few verses in particular, he's taught that God has now revealed. I mean, it wasn't revealed before, but it's now revealed. Things like we see in verse 24 that, that we're justified only through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Only. Well, the way man's going to be justified is what this says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's one of the things that he's revealed to us now. And then we also see that it's only through faith in his blood that we can be justified. And again, when we say justified, what does justified mean? Made right, declared righteous. I don't know. Again, when we think about that, Sometimes that may sound like a minor thing. We're not talking about whether or not mom thinks you're a righteous kid or not. We're talking about whether the God of heaven and earth has declared you to be righteous. And let's face it, that is a high standard to meet. And God is declaring how that's going to take place. And it's only through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus and only through faith in his blood, meaning that you can't just, well, I believe in Jesus. That doesn't make you righteous, does it? what you believe about Jesus that matters. There's a lot of people that, that, that believe that Jesus lived. And we've talked about the different religions out there that will believe that Jesus lived, but what they believe about Jesus is going to keep them lost and condemned. And we see that Paul has revealed that now that man is justified only and that this is God now declaring, again, meaning that it wasn't declared in the Old Testament, it wasn't declared in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm sorry if that counters the traditions. It wasn't declared in early Acts. He's saying it's now declared. It's now declared. And those things are how the sins of all those in the past have been forgiven. And that's what we talked about last week, talking about the sins of the past. And we talked about the fact that that's not... Um, talking about our past sins it's talking about the sins of all those in the past whether it was 
whether it was Abraham, whether it was David, whether it was Job, whether it was Samuel, you name it, or whether it was those in the early Acts period, he's, he's declaring now how those sins in the past have been paid for. They were, they were um, looked over temporarily because God knew what he was going to do through Christ Jesus, and so he was able to, he was able to justify the Old Testament state by faith plus works. So it was always consistently by faith. But it was faith plus works. They had to do certain things. And but now he's saying how it is ultimately that that sin was covered. And how was that? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because by, by bulls and goats, sin's not going to be forgiven. It had to be through the spotless one. And so Paul has been pointing here is, is that that justification, as we just said, is only through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And the last thing that he had, we left off with was, was that God, um, that all of this that we just talked about just now and last week, that all of this proves, God is now proving, making it known for all the world to see, something they didn't understand in the past, how God could be just and the justifier. Because as we talked about, God cannot be just if he just looks past sin, can he? No, he can't be just. He's got to address it. And so for the first time throughout all of human history, and let that sink in, everyone in the past, until this message comes, until Paul reveals this in the book of Romans, first chronologically in your Bible, until Paul reveals this, no one understood how God could be just and justify sinners. And so I hope that, again, that we fully appreciate this privileged thing that we have of Scripture because of what it's revealing to us. We, again, sometimes, you know, it's kind of like in sports. I know there for a long time, the Atlanta Braves, I don't know if there's any Atlanta Braves fans here, but for a long time, they were winning their division every single year, every single year, and guess what? They'd be in the playoffs and their fans didn't even show up, hardly. Why? Because they were just so used to it. Because they didn't really appreciate that thing that they had. Well, we too can be very much like that. We can be very complacent about the fact that, yeah, I understand I'm justified. I understand how God does this. But do you understand that there was a time that nobody did understand it? They didn't get to know it. We do get to know it today. What a privileged place that is. We also see that it's this justification, as we saw in verse 26, it's on them that believe in Jesus. It's under Jesus' terms. It's under God's terms that this justification comes. And that belief, as we talked about, is through faith in his blood. So now he's going to ask a rhetorical question, but one that's a very valid question. So after he's done all that, he's going to, that's going to ask a question that very precisely concludes what he's been saying this whole time. Let's pick up here, verse 27. Where is boasting then? Now, it seems like a very simple question, but after you go through everything that we've just talked about, we understand that there is none. And Paul's making that point. Where is boasting? And he's obviously talking about boasting in oneself. You don't, you know, you don't get to boast in yourself. You know, that man can only be saved by God's righteousness because, well, we have none. Therefore, we need his. 
And so he asked, where is boasting? Now, Jews, and they're not singled out on this. Man has always been this way. Jews like to boast about themselves, didn't they? Man today does like, likes to as well. But turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, verse 9. And so this is obviously in Scripture for a reason, because Jews did like to boast about themselves and who they were, their lineage through Abraham. Matthew chapter 3, verse 9. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. This is John the Baptist talking. This is those who were coming to get baptized of him in, in the water, trying to, trying to fulfill their obligation to get cleansed through, through water baptism. And he's talking to them and he says, think not that because you have Abraham as your father, that God is able to raise up these stones. Well, Jews, again, had a tendency to, to be a little bit haughty about their um, um, privileged position, being God's people, being of the seed of Abraham. And so there was this boasting about who they were in Abraham. And so, again, they'd have a tendency to do that. You can go to Luke chapter 3, and we won't go there, but you can see if you'd like to write notes in there, that's your, your parallel verse of the situation. So you can write a little note there. That, that's where you'll see it in, in Luke. He'll talk about it. But we do see um, this revealed, go to Luke, in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Look at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. Luke 18, verse 9. It says, And he spoke this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. In other words, what, what is that another way of saying that? Boasting in themselves. Okay, So here he, Jesus is speaking a parable unto those who boasted in who they were, their works, their heritage, these types of things, and, and that they were righteous and despised others. And it says, two men went up into the temple to pray. And I'm sure you're familiar with this. And one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even... As this publican, can you almost see them, right? Two of them standing there and the guy talking. They come out like this guy here. I fast twice a week. Uh-oh, here comes the, I did this stuff. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much his eyes unto heaven, but, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Well, there's a, there's a lesson in this event. And that lesson is, is one, when you're going to approach God, you better not be boasting of yourself. You better not think too highly of yourself because it's been a universal understanding that you need God's righteousness. And the law was meant to show that this whole time, as we'll talk about later. So here we see this boasting of them. Go back to Romans. Not all boasting is wrong. 
boasting in yourself is definitely wrong. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Romans 2, 17 says, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and rests in the law. That's problematic. And makest thy boast of God. Now, boasting about God is not a problem. Boasting about God and then breaking the law that you boast about is a problem. And Paul, as we've talked about over these last few weeks, through through the end of chapter 1 all the way through uh, part the middle part of chapter 3, has been proving to the Jew who thinks of themselves to be righteous that, no, you're not righteous. That's what he's been proven. And so making your boast uh, about God is a good thing. Um, resting in the law is problematic. Why? Because nobody's going to be able to come fulfill the law, right? Yeah. Um, would it be fair to say that, that then the hypocrisy sets in, you know, from that boast and, um, and, and that's it. We're easy targets for that as Christians. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because you're never going to meet that, that law. You're never going to maintain that. Uh, that's right, and that's why it's always, and that's why Paul's asking this question, and we'll look at us today here in a second. But his whole point, because remember, the beginning of Romans, he showed the Gentile as, you know, um, basically lost. And then he shows the Jew that they're lost. And then he declares for all of sin. And so his point throughout all this, and that's why he comes to this idea of where is boasting. Again, verse 17, boasting about God is not a problem. Rusting the law is a bit of a problem in what it says in verse 17, but if you go over to verse 23, look at what it says in Romans 2.23. Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, you dishonor God. Uh-oh. That's a bit of a problem here. And so that's what Paul has, um, Paul has pointed out here, is that you're, by breaking the law, you are dishonoring God. And since all have broken the law, Nobody could argue that, that they haven't broken the law. Since all have broken the law, that means none will be boasting in themselves. So that's why he's bringing this, uh, bringing this question out. Since none will be boasting in themselves, according to 3.19, that means all mouths should be stopped. Let's read 3.19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. Why? that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And so you think of these things whenever Paul asks that question, where is boasting then? Well, he answers the question, doesn't he? It's a rhetorical question. By this point, if somebody's reading this, remember Paul is writing to the church up in Rome, which he has not visited yet. It's a church that was started by people who knew Paul, who weren't apostles, the Apostle Peter didn't go up there and start start the church in Rome. It was followers of Paul. And, and so he's writing, as the Apostle, he's writing a letter to that church, which he's not been to, and he's establishing them in the faith. He's establishing the doctrine and the faith. Many of those up there were, were likely Jews. And so, of course, he's dealing, dealing with this, these issues here. And all mouths should be stopped. And so he asks the question, where is boasting then? And he answers it, verse 27, it is excluded. Literally means left out. It's left out. 
Nobody can boast of salvation. The only thing you can boast in is in the God who saves. That's the only thing you can boast in. That's right. The cross. That's why Paul says the only thing he's going to glory in is the cross. And when he says that, that that's his way of saying the, you know, the, the cross and the empty tomb. Okay? Because we know he's also said that you know, if, if Christ be not raised, then you're still in your sins. So it's kind of an important thing, the resurrection. And so we see here that if you're going to boast, you cannot boast of your, your salvation except to boast in the God who saved you. And that's what he's been proven for three chapters. You know, he took three chapters and probably 30 minutes to write what I've taken 12 weeks to say. So um, Mike's not here. I can't blame him for taking this long. But, but so we see here that uh, the boasting, again, about self is excluded. If a man had lived perfect, he could boast. That's, that's the way the law went. If you, could, if you could live perfectly, it was out there. You could claim that. God didn't just... Th- you guys ever watched uh, the old cartoons? I think it was Bugs Bunny. But remember those old cartoons? God is not like, you know, that old cartoon that would stick the carrot out in front of somebody trying to lead them along, you know, or even dog races where they'd have the bunny go around and, and they'd never get to get it, right? God wasn't somehow trying to tease people like sitting back there laughing. No, the offer was there. If you can do it, here it is. But the point was to show you can't, but I'm still going to save you anyway. And that, that's what we need to understand, and that's what Paul's trying to get them to understand. But since none can complete the law, since none can, and we can't even blame Adam. We can't even blame Adam and say, you know what? Boy, I could have done it. I've been living perfect all these years, but Adam, I've got his sin in me. It's his fault. No, we've all sinned. Matter of fact, I bet you every one of us has sinned this week. So the fact of the matter is, it's not held to our account, praise God, but as far as the action. And so since none can um, save themselves, none will get to boast. And really what it comes down to is, is oh, go ahead, Tim. No, I was just going to say, uh, uh, I guess implied uh, when you say the law, Verse 27 just kind of brings to mind for me, you know, there are really two types of law here, the law of works uh, and then the law of faith. And, you know, I had a hard time with that verse for a little while because we always hear, no, faith is not a work. Faith is not a work. But this verse clearly distinguishes that what he's referring to here are two types of law, the, the law of works, which the, the Jews have, you know, exclusively operated under the, the new law, I guess. Uh, but that, that to me, it was confusing at first until, you know, I actually thought about that first. Sure. And, and we're going to talk about this law of faith because it does confuse people uh, about what this is a reference to. And whenever, whenever we get to that point and I begin to explain it, hopefully it will make sense to you. Because there is a law of faith. Um, and what I mean by a law, it's not a mosaic kind of law. A law meaning it's like a commandment. There's a rule. There's a, there's a, a policy in place that um, uh, the just shall live by. Guess what? That is what God has ordained. 
which makes it a commandment, which makes it a law, not the kind in which, like the Jewish Mosaic law, that type of thing, but it is a truth out there. And so, so we'll talk about that here in a minute. But uh, yeah, and so here, here we see this, this, uh, this idea of God's not going to allow anyone to boast. And I want you to think about this. God is not going to allow anyone to take his glory. Now, I hope we can, we can understand and see that he's the one that deserves the glory. He's the one that deserves the honor. He's the one that deserves the praise. He didn't owe us a thing. But yet he still decided to save us. Not only save us, he decided God himself left heaven and came down to this earth and lived and was spit upon and was rejected and was punched and, and, and all those things. Not because he wanted to, but because he needed to for us. And so, yes, he is, he's the one. And so he's not going to let anybody take a boaster to take the glory that belongs to him. Look at Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. Isaiah 42, 8. Look at a few verses. Some of the things that God has said. This has been consistent. And this is why the Jews should have realized that as soon as they started going down the path of I, 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 they were on the wrong path. Isaiah 42, verse 8. says, I am. It's interesting two words, isn't it? I am is the one who met Moses. I am is the one who came to earth. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. And you say, well, pastor, graven images, that's talking about those who worship beasts and all this stuff. God's not going to give it even to a humanist. God's not going to give it to anybody who wants to make themselves God by saying, I can save myself. God's not going to give his glory to anybody. It's going to go to him and it's going to him alone whether man likes it or not. So he will not give his glory to anyone. Look at chapter 43 of Isaiah. Chapter 43. Look at a few verses here. Start in verse 3. Isaiah 43, 3. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Does it just blow you away to think of who's actually saying this? The pre-incarnate Jesus Christ is the one who's saying this. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Sheba for thee. Since thou was precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east, gather thee from the west, and as we read this, keep in mind, all of these are not like happening in one day. These are statements by God, and it's talking about things that are going to happen at different periods of time. There are things that here are going to talk about Christ's earthly ministry. There are things that are here that are going to talk about during the kingdom. So, Derek. Yeah, Isaiah is full of that, right? Oh, yeah. So the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ is Isaiah? No, is Jehovah. Jehovah. Isaiah is just prophesying what Jehovah said. And so when Jehovah says, I am the Lord thy God, I am the Holy One of Israel, the Holy One of Israel was the Messiah, was Jesus Christ. And so we have to remember that in the Old Testament, whenever God is speaking to to man, 
and he calls himself Jehovah, that's Jesus Christ before being born. That's, it was Jesus Christ who hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and, and put his hand over him and walked by and let him see just the, 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 the last of his glory. That was Jesus Christ before he was born. So that's where the different names come in. Mm-hmm. As far as, you know, yeah. Okay. yeah. So, and then just, just sure. while I'm, um, I think there's a wisdom in, in reducing everybody's boasting to, like, it's, it was all done by Jesus. Mm-hmm. by being justified by Jesus because there's nothing we can do to gain our salvation. That's right. Then the sanctification process, because it's justification, sanctification, and then glorification. Mm-hmm. Is that where the Holy Spirit comes in? Like yeah. How, how, who guides us through that? Is that the... and, and again, sanctification, you've heard me teach on that um, to some extent before. Most people teach that sanctification is a process, and there is a truth to that. But the scripture also says you are sanctified. And that's why I make sure that we point this out. If you put sanctification only in the context of your walk, yes, every day we have to sanctify ourselves. We have to set ourselves apart from the world. We have to take the truth, and we have to walk in the Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that we know that gives us the ability to do that. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Being indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Being indwelled with the Holy Spirit. partly the church's function as well right mm-hmm. besides worship and, yep and yep is, is to edify that's why we talk about here we talk about um, exalt the savior evangelize the lost the last one is edify the saints there's a reason why we come together yes it's to worship god yes it's to sing songs it's to study his word but it's also to lift each other up edify build each other up there's there's that aspect of it and so that's why it's important um but so yeah on the sanctification yes there is a, a you have to you know, every day sanctified. But there is also the aspect, again, that I think many, even grace teachers, forget to teach, and that is, is in God's eyes, your position is sanctified. You have been set apart. God has already set you apart from this world, and you you went from being in Adam to being in Christ. Now you need to, because of that, make sure you sanctify your life from the rest of this world. We're in the world, and we're of the world, but, you know, we're not part of this world. So... Uh-huh. Isaiah 43, to finish up, we were reading here. It said, I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. This is prophecy that still hasn't happened yet. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him. Revelation, I believe it's chapter 4, that people ask the question, why am I here? Why, was, why did God create man knowing he would sin? For his glory. You're here to glorify God. That's what you're here for. Bring forth the, uh, notice verse 8 here, bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. Remember whenever John the Baptist sent his um, his followers to ask Jesus, are you the Christ? What was Jesus' response? The deaf hear and the blind see. Think there's a coincidence? No. It's not a coincidence. Bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together. And let the people be assembled, who among them can declare this and show us former things. Let them bring forth their witness that they may be justified. Notice that they have to come to God to be justified. Or let them hear and say it is truth. 
You're my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. So you, you, you read this passage, and if it doesn't just speak almost like it's being shouted out, that you, that you it's for my glory, I am your Savior, You're going to, you, you want to be justified, you've got to come to me. And that's what he was saying all along in the Old Testament. But again, the Jews get lost, and they got lost. And again, Gentiles do the same thing. The church, the body of Christ, does the same thing. So it's nothing to get against just them. It's just the reality. They began to boast about who they are, you know, their heritage, their works. I'm following the law, you know, all of those types of things. And so um, that's just not, not going to cut it. Turn to chapter 48 of Isaiah. Isaiah 48, look at verse 11. Is for my own sake, even for my own sake will I do it. For how should my name be polluted, and I will not give my glory to another? That's God's mindset. That's that's His situation. Um, is that He's not going to give His glory to another? And so when Paul says, "Where is boasting then?" and He's pointed out, we all have to have His righteousness. And so that's why He's asked this question. It's just straight to the point. Look at Psalm. Look at Psalms 44. Psalm 44. Verse 8. It says, In God. We boast all the day long and praise thy name forever. So it's good to boast in God because he is the means that secures our salvation. Now, when we read verse 8, jump up to verse 4. Notice what's being con- the context here. Thou art my king, O God. Command deliverances for Jacob. Through thee will we push down our enemies. Through thy name will we tread them under that rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. But thou hast saved us from our enemies and hast put them to shame that hated us. And so here, Israel, deliverance, sometimes salvation, was a reference to being saved from their enemies. And here we see in, in this, this writer of Psalms here points out the fact that I'm not going to trust in my bow. I'm not going to trust in these things. You, God, are our Savior. And then it concludes with what we read here in verse 8. And that was an illustration, really, for the people of Israel. That was a foreshadowing for the people of Israel that just like it took me to save you from Assyria, just like it took me to save you from, from all of these other things, Guess who it's going to take to save you from your unrighteousness? And I will not let anybody take my glory, is what he says. And so when Paul asks this very simple question, where is boasting then? It is excluded. Paul has been making this huge point that, again, we may take for granted, but the Jews, 
This was a huge stumbling block for them. This was a huge, huge problem. And of course, I told you I'd look at the verse that refers to us. Go to Ephesians 2. Probably don't even need to go there. I'm sure that you can recite it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, meaning you don't get to boast. It is a gift of God, not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast. See, that, that, that's how God operates. God wants to give us a gift, and unfortunately, it's, man has this, this you know, odd desire to earn it. Which is why it's very problematic for churches to teach sacraments which is why it's very problematic to add any type of thing to salvation. You did not earn it. You do not deserve it. It was a gift. Here's the condition. Believe in the death, burial, and resurrection for your sins, and God says, here you go. That's it. Fair to say that's the essence of pride. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that's a very good way to put it. And then Paul here, because I'm running out of time, um, says what, what Tim was talking about here. Um, he asks, by what law? Meaning that this is excluded, the boasting is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Well, uh, for one thing, understand here, this word law, the concept here is, is really, again, not a reference to the Mosaic law. It's to the principle of, which is why you see law of works. Okay, the idea of this principle of works, does that somehow exclude boasting? Well, let me ask you a question. We just read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and it says it's a gift of God lest any man should boast. Well, then, if, if what is that? It's not of works because people would boast. That means that if you could do it by works, what could man do? Boast. So it's not the law of works that excludes boasting that would allow it the law of works would allow people to boast but instead it says no it's the law of faith it's about faith faith is what excludes and brings um, something much much better because there's something through the law of works that you could never have if it was about works and we see this all the time in some of those, those religions that teach works, whether it's Islam or, or, and I won't name a bunch of but there's a bunch of them. You ask the question, how do you know that you're going to be saved? And most of them, if they're honest, would say, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to save. I hope I did enough good works to be saved. But by the law of works, you don't have assurance. But guess what if it's by the law of faith? You do have assurance which is what he says later. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Romans 4, verse 16 says, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. In other words, if it was by works, you would be left wondering whether or not you did enough works. But if it's by faith, you can have assurance. It wasn't that long ago my message was on, on the assurance that we have of salvation. Nobody in this world has any reason 
to doubt their salvation. If you haven't put your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, or if you didn't in the past at some point, then you, you know you're not saved. If you haven't put your faith in the finished work of Christ, you're not saved. But if you have, it's done and over with. So many people want to go back and say, well, what about this? And what about this? No, the salvation question's done it with. Maybe we're talking about sanctification now. Maybe we're talking about certain things when it comes to our walk. But guess what? The plateau for salvation is taken care of by faith. And that's it. So I hope that makes sense. So, so you can see here this law of faith, which is why Paul will then go on to say that, that it is established. Paul is establishing that. So the law of faith, again, has to do with um, not just um, um, faith in the death, burial, and resurrection. Obviously, that's how you get saved. But God's principle always was that, how did Abraham, how, did, how was righteousness attributed to him? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for what? Righteousness. So it was by faith. Paul makes that point. He's going to use in the next chapter, matter of fact, next week, assuming I, I get us to it, verses 1 through 8, you're going to see Paul use, makes that very point. That it has to be by faith. It always has. In the past, it was faith plus works. Now, it's just faith, which means that it was by faith and it's always been by faith. Any questions on that? Verse 28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So therefore obviously means basically everything that he's been pointing out, we conclude that man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And if you flip over, if you have to, verse 20, we see the same thing basically said in, in a different form. He says, therefore by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so Paul, between those two therefores, was proving a bunch. Verse 29. Is he a God to the Jews only? Now that may seem like an absurd question. But guess what? It wasn't to the Jew. It's actually a pretty valid question to the Jew. And if you remember 10 weeks ago or so, when we were studying the beginning of Romans, Romans chapter 1, um, we know that um, we should understand that this is a valid question. Go back to Romans 1, verse 24. Now, who is God talking about here in Romans 1? He's talking about the world before Israel. He's talking about that means whenever everybody was a Gentile. Verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up. Them up was the whole world. It's from that group he calls Abraham. So the Gentiles, wherefore he gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies um, between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use and he basically goes on, and, and you read on through chapter verse 28. Um, it says they didn't want to retain God in his knowledge, so God gave up the Gentile. Well, if everybody on the planet is a Gentile and God gave them up, the world is in a very bad spot. But God calls Abram, and he begins working with the nation. And so to the Jew, if God had already given up the Gentile, 
this question that Paul asks, is God the God of the Gentile also? This is actually a very valid question because to them, they didn't recognize that God was the God to the Gentile only because they understood what, what the significance of Abraham's call was. The Gentiles were, were, were conclu- concluded in unbelief and basically they were guilty for God. But guess what? Paul just proved that guess what, Jew? You're guilty too. And so that means God was left with no one, wasn't he? Well, so I think it's a very valid question. Paul is going to shortly, turn to Romans 11, explain how this all worked. Romans chapter 11. He's going to explain this, the answer to this very question, how is it that God can be a God to the Gentiles once again? And when I mean God, remember God is obviously sovereign. God has the right to judge. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about be their God. God had, had sat, sat, sat the Gentiles aside. But here in Romans chapter 11, if you're familiar with this chapter, you know that God is, is going to explain the condition of the nation of Israel. In verse 32, very key. It says, For God has concluded them all in unbelief. Now, he's talking about Israel here. Romans 9, 10, 11, Paul is talking about the nation of Israel. Later, you can go back and look at it to verify what I'm saying. Wait, can you repeat that again? Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul is addressing the issue of Israel. And so um, he may be sometimes um, talking to uh, two Gentiles about the situation with Israel. And so Romans 9, 10, 11, he's dealing with the issue of Israel. And so here we say, when he's talking about, for he's concluded them all in unbelief, meaning the Jews, because he's just been talking, matter of fact, so pertinent, we don't have time. Just above this verse here, Paul is telling the Gentiles, don't boast about yourself. What a coincidence. Don't boast about yourself. And he's talking about the natural branches, Israel. If they've been broken off, don't boast about yourself. And he tells them why here in verse 32. For if God had concluded them, if he's included Israel in the unbelief that we saw in Romans 1 of the Gentiles, if God has added Israel to that unbelief, and he tells us why he did that, that he may have mercy upon all. That's what it says here. God concluded Israel in unbelief so that he could have mercy upon you and me. That's what we need to understand. So whenever Paul raises the question back in Romans 3, is he the God of the Gentiles? Yes. He is the God of the Gentiles also. And he is our God today. And the reason why that God could do what he did and not violate his own principles is because he added Israel to the unbelief that the Gentiles already had. He added them, he concluded everybody in unbelief so he can mercy upon all. That's what this is telling us here. Which means, as I said, to drive the point home even further, he did that to Israel for us. Which is why Paul says in those verses above, don't be boasting about yourselves. Then verse 30 here, back to Romans 3, he says, Seeing that it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith, do we then make void the law? through faith obviously that was going to be the natural question of 
do you violate the law? Is this not a violation of the law? And Paul answers that question, no. Actually, we establish it. And how does that take place? How is it that this, all of this new revelation, how does it establish it? Well, what was the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law was to prove everybody guilty, was it not? It wasn't to create righteousness in a person. It was to prove everybody guilty. Well, this establishes that very fact. It proves the very fact that what the law was intended to do, it accomplished. It accomplished what it was supposed to do. And guess what? And Paul, that's why Paul is declaring that, that the idea of justification has to come not by works, but by faith. Through his blood, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Um, so Paul's message doesn't violate the law. It doesn't void the law. It proves it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And fulfills it. And fulfills it. That's what Christ, that's what it says. Christ fulfilled the, fo- the promises made unto the Father. In, in the book of Romans it says it so, uh, which we'll get to. All right. Any questions? or Does that make sense? Because if it doesn't make sense, we'll, we'll go over it again next week. All right, very good.